Hello. This is RJ Deacon reading the Supreme Court of the United States Opinion Syllabus in Cameron versus EMW Women's Surgical Center. Certiorari to the United States Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit. Argued October 12th, 2021. Decided March 3rd, 2022. If you'd like to support the podcast, please stay tuned to the end of the podcast. EMW Women's Surgical Center and two of its doctors filed a federal suit seeking to enjoin enforcement of Kentucky House Bill 454, legislation regulating the abortion procedure known as dilation and evacuation. Named defendants in EMW's lawsuit included two Commonwealth officials, the Attorney General, and the Cabinet Secretary for Health and Family Services. EMW agreed to dismiss claims against the Attorney General without prejudice. The stipulation of dismissal specified that the Attorney General's office reserved all rights, claims, and defenses in any appeals arising out of this action, and agreed to be bound by any final judgment, subject to any modification, reversal, or vacation of the judgment on appeal. The Secretary remanded, remained in the case and defended the challenged law. After a bench trial, the District Court held that HB 454 unconstitutionally burdens a woman's right to an abortion and issued a permanent injunction against the law's enforcement. The Secretary filed a notice of appeal. While the appeal was pending, Kentucky elected a new Attorney General, Petitioner Daniel, Daniel Cameron and elected the former Attorney General, Andrew Bashir, Governor. Bashir appointed a new Secretary for Health and Family Services, who continued the defense of HB 454 on appeal. Prior to oral argument, before the Sixth Circuit, Attorney General Cameron entered an appearance as counsel for the new Secretary. A divided Sixth Circuit panel affirmed the District Court's judgment. The Secretary then informed the Attorney General's office that the Secretary would not file a petition for rehearing and bank or a petition for a writ of certiorari challenging the Sixth, Circuit's pan Sixth Circuit panel's decision. Two days later, the Attorney General moved to withdraw as counsel for the Secretary and to intervene as a party on the Commonwealth's behalf. The Secretary did not oppose that motion, but respondents did. The Attorney General also filed a petition for rehearing and bank within the 14-day deadline for an existing party to seek rehearing. The Sixth Circuit denied the Attorney General's motion to intervene. This court granted certiorari limited to the question whether the Sixth Circuit should have permitted the Attorney General to intervene. Uh, the Supreme Court held... Uh, let's see what happened here. Um, the decision below is reversed and remanded, and Justice Alito delivered the opinion of the court. The Court of Appeals erred in denying the Attorney General's motion to intervene. This court has jurisdiction to consider whether the Attorney General's motion to intervene should have been granted, notwithstanding respondents' contention that the motion was jurisdictionally barred. See Arbaugh v. YNH Corporation. Respondents concede that a Court of Appeals generally has jurisdiction to consider a non-party's motion to intervene in a pending appeal. But respondents assert that a narrow subset of non-parties, those bound by the district court judgment, must file a timely notice of appeal to obtain appellate review and may not circumvent the applicable jurisdictional time limits by filing a motion to intervene after the deadline for filing a notice of appeal has passed.
applying this theory, respondents contend that because the attorney general could have filed a notice of appeal but failed to do so within the time allowed by law, his motion for intervention should be treated like an untimely notice of appeal, over which the Sixth Circuit lacked jurisdiction. No provision of law limits the jurisdiction of the courts of appeals to entertain a motion for intervention filed by a non-party in this way, even assuming that a party can be bound by the judgment that is appealed. Unless clear from its language, a statute or rule does not impose a jurisdictional requirement. It's uh, Henderson versus Shinseki. Here, respondents cite no provision that deprives a court of appeals of jurisdiction in the way they suggest, and no such supporting language can be found in 28 U.S.C. Section 2107, Federal Rules of Appellate Procedure 3 and 4, or any other provision of law. This court refuses to adopt what would essentially be a categorical claims processing rule barring consideration of the Attorney General's motion. When a non-party enters into an agreement to be bound by a judgment in accordance with the agreement's terms, it is hard to see why the non-party should be precluded from seeking intervention on appeal if the agreement preserves that opportunity. Here, the Attorney General reserved all rights, claims, and defenses in any appeals arising out of this action. That easily covers the right to seek rehearing in bank and the right to file a petition for a writ of certiorari. And that agreement makes clear that the judgment to which the Attorney General agreed to be bound was the judgment that emerged after all appellate review concluded. Turning to the question whether the Court of Appeals properly denied the Attorney General's motion to intervene, the Court notes that no statute or rule provides a general standard to apply in deciding whether the intervention on appeal should be allowed. Guided by the policies underlying this intervention in the district courts, um, that's automobile workers versus Schofield, including the legal interest that a party seeks to protect through intervention on appeal, um, Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 24A2, the court concludes that the Sixth Circuit erred in denying the Attorney General's motion to intervene. Resolution of a motion for permissive intervention is committed to the discretion of the court before which the intervention is sought. See Automobile Workers, uh, Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 24B1A. Uh, but a court fails to exercise its discretion soundly when it bases its ruling on an erroneous view of the law. That's um, Cooter and Gel versus Hartmax. And that is what happened here. The Sixth Circuit panel failed to account for the strength of Kentucky Attorney General's interest in taking up the defense of HB 454 when the secretary elected to acquiesce. A state clearly has a legitimate interest in the continued enforceability of its own statutes. That's uh, Maine versus Taylor. And a state's opportunity to defend its laws in federal court should not be lightly cut off. The importance of ensuring that states have a fair opportunity to defend their laws in the federal court has been recognized by Congress. See 28 U.S.C. Section 2403B and Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 24A1. These provisions, even if not directly applicable in this case because the Secretary remained a party, reflect the weighty interest that a state has in protecting its own laws. 
Respect for state sovereignty must also take into account the authority of a state to structure its executive branch in a way that empowers multiple officials to defend its sovereign interests in federal court. See uh, Virginia House of Delegates versus Bethune Hill. The unusual course that this litigation took should not obscure the important constitutional consideration at stake. The panel also erred in its evaluation of the other factors that bear on all applications for appellate intervention. The panel's assessment of the timeliness of the Attorney General's motion to intervene was mistaken. While an important consideration, timeliness depends on circumstances, and the progression of the litigation is not solely dispositive. That's uh, NAACP versus New York. Here, the most important circumstance relating to timeliness is that the Attorney General sought to intervene as soon as it became clear that the Commonwealth's interest would no longer be protected by the parties in the litigation. That's um, United Airlines Incorporated versus McDonald's, or McDonald. Uh, because the Attorney General's need to intervene did not arise until the Secretary ceased defending the state law, the timeliness of his motion should be assessed in relation to that point in time. Again, NAACP versus New York. Um, the panel's finding that granting intervention would prejudice respondents was similarly flawed. While the Attorney General's rehearing petition pressed an issue, third-party standing, not raised in the Secretary's appellate briefs, allowing intervention would not have necessitated resolution of that issue. See again, McDonald. Moreover, respondents' loss of its claimed expectations around election of a governor with a history of declining to defend abortion restrictions is not co cognizable as an unfair prejudice in the sense relevant here. The decision below is reversed and remanded. Justice Alito delivered the opinion of the court, in which Chief Justice Roberts and Justices Thomas, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Barrett joined. Justice Thomas filed a concurring opinion. Justin, Justice Kagan filed a opinion concurring in the judgment in which Justice Breyer joined. Justice Sotomayor filed a dissenting opinion. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to support the podcast, uh, find the PayPal link in the show notes or find me on Patreon or contact me at roadsscholar80 at gmail.com. That's R-O-A-D-S like the truck driving roads and the number eight zero.